0: and welcome to the Currents of Folklore podcast. I am your host Cherish Bishop. Today I am speaking with folklorist and scholar Jim Leary. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome Jim. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really glad that we could have this chance to meet and, and to to talk and would you please um, introduce yourself our listeners?
1: Sure. My name is Jim Leary. I'm, I'm a folklorist. Uh, I'm in my early seventies, and I, I, I grew up in a small farming and logging town in Northwestern Wisconsin, a place called Rice Lake. That uh, in 1864 was a place where uh, a logging company dammed a river and flooded the wild rice beds of the uh, Ojibwe and Anishinaabe peoples there. But uh, it was a, it was an ethnically diverse working class and rural community where, where I, I grew up. And uh, at some point as an undergraduate, I was lucky uh, to find out that there was a field of folklore studies. I uh, ended up getting a master's in folklore in 1973 at uh, North Carolina, at Chapel Hill, and then a PhD at 1977 uh, from Indiana University. Um, In the the 70s and 80s and into the early 90s, uh, I did a lot of contract work as a public folklorist, but also teaching at University of Kentucky and University of Wisconsin. And eventually I became a faculty member at University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I directed the folklore program for a while and also co-founded the Center for the Study of Upper Midwestern Cultures. I'm still working with that center Uh, I retired from the faculty in 2015 and work on a lot of projects, uh, in addition to reading novels and sleeping in. (laughs) Now and then.
0: That sounds great well as. As you know, like the purpose of the podcast here is to discuss um, the work of folklorists as it relates to environmental topics. And as you and I have discussed previously, you um, have an interest, right, with song and music. And so we had talked about different pieces that would fit to this, this theme. And as we kind of had talked and researched a little bit about this, you had brought up this, this concept of what it means to truly be American. And I was wondering if you could give us some insight into this and where this thought comes from.
1: In, in fall 1973, my first semester at Indiana University in folklore, I, I took a great course from Henry Glassie called American Folk Style. And one of the, the readings, uh, was from a cultural geographer, Wilbur Zelinsky, who had looked systematically at different um, assessments of what constituted the American character and um, discerned four basic uh, ki- kinds of tropes or characteristics. One was excessive individualism. Another one was mobility, both in geographic and social mobility Uh, terms. Uh, Also a a view of the world as mechanical, that you could uh, fix and adjust and uh, control uh, the the natural world. And then there was also this uh, sense of being uh, the chosen people, American exceptionalism, uh, you know, morally superior and superior in every way. And, um, you know, if one looks at In many ways, the uh, prevailing messages of uh, at at least historically of uh, governmental and and educational and media. uh, These these kinds of institutions that maybe constitute our superculture, they often inculcated a a sense. that you know, this is what it was to be an American—to be individualistic, to be mobile, to be able to move around, you know, to, to fix things and uh, control things, uh, dominate the natural world, and uh, you know, consider oneself uh, superior and all exceptional in all sorts of ways. And I think that. Um, Well, there's certain merits to that uh, kind of uh, collective national character. Uh, It also is uh, somewhat myopic and uh, has a certain sickness to it. Uh, It displaces people or separates people from the natural world, from others, so to speak. and it it disconnects people from from places and my own interest uh, as someone who grew up in a very distinct place where there were both uh, indigenous peoples who had been displaced <laughs> uh, by the coming of european immigrants but those european immigrants were also in many cases uh, from peasant cultures they were refugees from war or some kind of persecution or uh, expansion, uh, radical alteration, industrialization of their their rural areas. And so I have come to look at at folklore, the folklore of indigenous peoples, uh, the folklore of local and regional cultures, the folklore of of displaced people from uh, peasant or rural cultures. I've looked at that folklore as uh, a counter-force, a counter-cultural force, a counter cultural force uh, to the the larger operations of uh, what we might call the, the American superculture as it distances itself from, from place and an environment in the natural world.
0: Well, and part of that folklore that could be considered like a counter-resistance would be performed through music, and that's kind of what, what we are here to discuss today, right? Um, and as we know right that folklore has definitely been used as a weapon of the week right as a way to kind of push back or fight back or let their sentiments be known and you have chosen a few um pieces that we're going to listen to throughout this episode and i am really excited to just hear your thoughts on them and you know, your analysis of how each piece is representative of this familiar connection to land and to self. I think we were going to start with Skibbereen, if, if I'm correct.
1: Yes. So my prevailing interest uh, as a folklorist has has been in uh, in narratives and also in songs and in tunes, and in particular, in, in recent years, I've I've worked a lot on on songs, and and they've always had kind of a powerful meaning for me, and of course for a lot of other people. And in in looking at my own experience in relation to um, to the environment and and place and songs, one song that is particularly powerful is one called. Skipperine, it's a, it's an Irish song, uh, actually from an Irish American perspective uh, that reflects on the disruption of the famine period of the late 1840s and early 1850s in Ireland. Uh, this was a time when my uh, ancestors on all sides, uh, my mother's side, my dad's side, uh, were uprooted from, from Ireland, uh, came over to America. I've looked at census records. They were all <laughs> illiterate <laughs> laborers. Uh, men were construction workers. The women were seamstresses and, and maids uh, and so forth, and they they kind of made their way. But the Learys came from South Cork, from a village called Skibbereen that was uh, one of the worst affected by, by the famine, a uh, place of misery and this song skibberine is from the point of view uh, of a young irish american who asks his father uh you know father i've often heard you talk of aaron's land it seemed to be a lovely place so rich and rare the soil it seemed to be a paradise in which a prince might dwell why did you abandon it the reason to me tell and of course then the father uh recounts a series of, of terrible things the you know the english controlling the land uh making people tenants uh there's a famine they're forced out of their places they try to resist uh they're they're killed or uh, you know, driven into exile and those are the reasons why uh the father left old Skibbereen. <laughs> and you know this is a, it's a powerful story really of uh, the displacement of immigrants and there was an Irish poet and essayist named George Russell uh, who wrote under the pen name AE and he said we we hold Ireland in our our hearts and I think that displaced people hold the places from which they came in their hearts uh, and and cherish the the, the pristine beauty of those places, even though uh, it may no longer exist, it may have been ravaged by, by war or industrialization or development or what have you. So this, 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 is, this is a powerful song that has resonated uh, since the 19th century, even into the present.
0: And we're going to listen to a clip of that now.
1: Oh, Father, dear, I oft times hear you
2: speak of Aaron's Isle. Our lofty scenes, our valleys green, our mountains rude and wild. They say it is a princely place wherein the king might dwell. So why did you abandon it the reason? To me tell Oh son, I loved my native land With energy and pride Until a blight came on the crops The sheep and the cattle died The rents and taxes were to pay I could not them redeem and that's the cruel reason why I left all skibbering.
0: You're right, Jim. This, the story this song paints is incredibly powerful. You can really feel the feelings of disappointment and longing and pain really come through with here. Um, moving on here, I believe next on our list here is the water song.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I live in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has 15,000 lakes. Minnesota, our neighbor, land of 10,000 lakes. Uh, Michigan, you know, bordered by, surrounded by great lakes. And this is a place where water, f- fresh water is incredibly important and abundant, but also, uh, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's challenged by, uh, excessive it, industrial use of, of water by, uh, chemicals that get into the, the water table from, from fertilizers or fire retardant stuff or, uh, industrial mining, <laughs> one, one thing or another. And there are, there are a number of powerful songs, uh, associated with, uh, with, indigenous peoples and um, uh, kind of uh, mixed, mixed uh, n- native European peoples, and also with immigrants that that deal with water. And the first of them is um, is a, a drums a big drum song, a, a powwow song that um, I was fortunate to make a field recording of from uh, Jim Williams, who was a an elder at the, like, like few does uh, Anishinabe or Ojibwe people, uh, it's, it's in, uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan, right near the, the Wisconsin border. And this is, uh, a, a song that, that is in invocables. So there, there's not, um, aren't specific words, but rather these, these, uh, sounds that are made um, and what the vocals do as well as the drum is they conjure the um the idea of and the sounds of, of drops of water hitting a, a pond and spreading out in wave patterns and um, it's, it's in some ways a meditation for the fact that, uh, you know, water evaporates, it goes up into the, the clouds, uh, it forms clouds and rains, rains fall, uh, water circulates, it nurtures, uh, you know, it, it gives us uh, powerful uh Life it, it it feeds us in in so many ways it, in not only our bodies but our, our 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 spirits and so this this water song uh, is a meditation uh, on on that profound truth
0: and we'll listen to a clip of that now.
1: This so-called straight song has no Ojibwa words, but relies on vocables, on phrases with no lexical meaning. Yet the song has a deep meaning. At a break in the powwow, I joined Jim Williams at his family's encampment to ask about the song he performed with the Lac-Vue-des-Air singers.
3: That's straight song, there's no words in there, but the meaning that was behind there, it talked about the water you ever watch, you know, you look in a pool of water and it's really calm, okay? All of a sudden, maybe a little drop of water will come down and hit that It'll splatter, and you see them little waves coming. That's what that song was in that, and the way we were singing that song, it's how you could feel them waves going. That, that's one of those examples. See, we know it, it wasn't in there, but, but I know what it meant because of. You know, all I have to do is say, let's sing that water song. I know what are singing about. So yeah. where did that one come from then? I don't know where that one comes from. But the old people sing that. Someone must uh, have had a dream about it. Because we, we, we sing about everything. We sing about trees. We even got, we even sing a song about the swamp yeah because you know in our in our ways there's a lot of medicine in that swamp
0: thank you jim i'm i'm actually curious right especially as we have seen a change in the climate and the the rising sea levels you know as we know like while water is a beautiful reflective meditative concept, it also can be powerful and destructive. Have you um, seen or heard, right, of, of any pieces that that attest to this, right? Especially as like, you know, the water is rising, the water is coming, right? There's, there's a land loss, you know, it's, you know, a- affecting coastal communities. I'm curious as to the opposite right, of, of, of what this piece is discussing?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question, and the ones I, I chose uh, don't have that element, but um, there are shifts in, in water tables here in the uh, kind of the western Great Lakes region, where the, the big lakes, uh, the, the levels rise and fall, and the same thing with some of the smaller lakes and and we have had flooding in in recent years that have sometimes wiped out homes Uh, some of those i don't feel too bad about because they were built in you know they're new homes that are built in places that where they ought not to be Built and they were built as a result of, uh, in many cases, you know, swamp drainage and, in, you know, in, in increasing the the flow of water when you get deluges. But but certainly in um, other parts of of the United States and obviously other parts of the world, uh, coastal areas areas along immense rivers like the mississippi for example there, there are many uh there are many songs that that have to do with uh with 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 flooding and uh disastrous elements of that and of course there are also uh traditional con- concepts uh, uh that that have to do with uh the spirits of, of the water being uh, disturbed by all of this uh drilling for oil or who knows what all these assaults on on the the natural world and there are certain belief systems that uh you know the, the water spirits will rise up angry and there can be songs and ceremonies to uh invoke them or appease them or ally with them.
0: Continuing on this theme of water, I believe next on our list here is Whitefish on the Rapids.
1: Yeah, Whitefish on the Rapids is is a very I- intricate uh, and rapid fiddle tune that uh, that came out of the uh, the interrelationship between uh, French. Trappers and fur traders, and eventually lumber camp workers, and those of indigenous peoples, uh, particularly um, Odawa and Ojibwe, or Anishinabe and Menominee peoples. Uh, and the tune Whitefish on the Rapids refers to or it, it invokes the um, spearing of, of whitefish uh, as they traverse uh, rapids uh, with with uh, the hunters of of the fish uh, in in canoes uh, being very n- nimble as they uh, go after this uh, prized fish uh, which is also honored and an important part of the you know the food of of in- indigenous peoples and it's played here by um, by lesin L- L- uh a Quebecois fiddler who um, made his way through the Upper Peninsula of Michigan into uh, nor- Northern Wisconsin in the late 19th century. And he was recorded um, in the 1940s for the Library of Congress. But this tune also persisted. And back uh, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, I worked with the a, a filmmaker, Michael Lokanen on a, on a great film called Medicine Fiddle that's available uh, nowadays through uh, the folk streams website and there was a uh, wonderful fiddler coleman trudeau who also uh, played played this uh, this tune white white fish on the rapids uh, and it's 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 a dazzling piece
0: well let's listen to a clip of that now <laughs> certainly was exciting as you said all right i believe now we are discussing the roar of avista rapids
1: yeah this uh avista is is a it's a river uh in dalarna which is a a rural area of, of of sweden in sweden it's kind of thought of in the same way as uh Southern Appalachia is in the United States or Kerry is in, in Ireland or Oppenzell uh, is in Switzerland. It's that, that area where, where people are thought of uh, on the one hand as being, you know, Hicks and Rubes. And on the other hand, uh, having this uh, s- sustained ancient and, and honorable and beautiful uh, culture. And, and um, this, Song um, speaks to this powerful river that goes through Dalarna that uh, was a uh, conduit for uh, floating timber down, down to mills, but also uh, transportation route through this, uh, this area. And it was recorded by a couple of uh, accordion players were Swedish immigrants who made recordings in the early 1920s um, for um, a record label founded by an immigrant named Gustav Wallin in in Chicago in the 1920s. And I recently worked with with Archeophone Records to um, issue a two CD set uh, called Swede Home Chicago that corrals all of the uh, recordings on this Wallin Svenska record label. And this is another example, much like Skibberine, of people who were displaced in, in an urban area. Um, and actually, these particular musicians, Harold Anderson and Alfred Edstrom, toured a lot through Swedish America. So they are often on the move, highly mobile, traveling around, uh, you know, in, in an, uh, mostly to, to perform in, in cities where Swedish immigrants had landed. And yet this song evokes uh, a beautiful and powerful river in a, a quintessential rural uh, area of, of, of Sweden. And it's yet another example of, of displaced people holding in their hearts uh, the waterways and the locale that they have had to leave.
0: Here is a portion of that. Great. Thanks, Jim. Moving on to the next portion of our discussion. Well, I think, you know, like e- each of these songs that you've mentioned here, right, is a reflection of a connection between these Indigenous and immigrant peoples, right, with their, their, in their home country or their homeland or their home place, this environment, this environmental connection. And as we were talking about the Zelensky quote earlier, right? this concept of American with like moving and industrialization, it there's a stark contrast between the two. And having this connection to land is an important factor and can be really traumatizing as people migrate or are forced to leave their homes. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that before we continue on.
1: Yeah, that's a very important point, and and, uh, one of the common pronouncements or observations uh, from within displaced cultures is that they, in seeking homes in the new world, you know, they came to some place that was somehow familiar to them, and so in the region where I, I grew up, there were Norwegians and Swedes and some Finns. And uh, of course, there were a lot people of a lot of other backgrounds as well who uh, came there. But of the, say, the Scandinavian peoples uh, said, OK, they came here because they're pine trees and you have winter and that sort of thing. Um, and that kind of observation doesn't hold up Uh in in a thorough sort of way, because people um, often came where they maybe knew other people who'd gotten there first or where where there was work, uh, where they could find land or find employment. Uh, But that being said, people who are displaced do try to find something that reminds them of what they've lost you know the, the part that stands for the whole you know it's 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 like having a a little uh, a locket with a picture of someone you know who, who's gone that you love or a, a, a you know some kind of keepsake as souvenir that connects you with the place if you can find in your new environment uh, you know a little hollow or a, a view or a, a tree or you know maybe seeds that you've brought that you can plant in your garden if if you can make some kind of uh, connection with the place you've lost it it can be good for your your spirit and so this place people do seek that out and sometimes if they can't find it all that successfully <laughs> at least they can carry in in their minds and their hearts you know some kind of connection through uh, through a song or a tune?
0: Well, I think our our next segment here, we're going to be discussing three immigrant songs, right? Having to deal with new Americans in industrial settings. And we had discussed last time this idea of the difficulties that new arrivals to the United States face with having to be forced to work in very barren and just sterile conditions, right? Um that really is the complete opposite of a rural homeland environment that they are, are coming from. We are first discussing I must depart from my mountain.
1: Yes, uh <laughs> and this is uh this is a recording made by uh, Charles uh, schonenberger and uh frau und frau schneckenbuhl who who I, I th- I'm not quite certain we've we've fully identified, but I, uh, but I th- I think it was a woman named Louisa Schneckenbuhl. and they're they're Swiss, they're they're yodelers. Uh, we know that Schoenenberger settled in northern New Jersey, in the Union City and Weehawken area. He came from from um, the Canton of Zurich, uh, from a little uh, a place called Talwil. And um, he worked in the um, the silk dyeing industry, and he he was a dyer, which was considered uh, dirty and dank work. His his job had had to do with um, taking strands of of, of silk uh, that were uh, on a, on a lath and uh, kind of um, dragging them back and forth through vats of of dye, and he did that for long hours in this uh, enclosed space and then um, on the weekends he would go to a hall where he was a member of a swiss singing club and uh, there would be a painted backdrop of pristine swiss alps <laughs> and he would sing in yodel uh, <laughs> songs and so there was this uh, obviously this this separation and, and loss uh, for for economic reasons uh, he had, had to immigrate found work in this industrial uh, confined unhealthy environment and and then maintain the illusion of being a a swiss mountain boy uh you know a carefree yodeler but now and then he did sing some some poignant songs and this one uh, the lyrics in english i must depart from my mountain where it is so lovely and beautiful i can't stay in the homeland anymore i must go far away And then he says to his sweetheart may god protect you my dear dairymaid give me your hand one last time you won't see me for much longer because i travel to a, a foreign land um and th- this recording was was made by a, a, another small record label uh, founded in Monroe, Wisconsin, by a guy named uh, Ferdinand Ingold. Uh, and he called the label Hel- Helvetia, which was the old kind of Roman name for what it became Switzerland. And this is another project that I worked on with Archaeophone Records. Uh, it was called Alpine Dreaming. Uh, and we gathered all of the recordings uh, made for the um, Helvetia Swiss label in in the 1920s along with notes and background. And the title Alpine Dreaming really resonates with a lot of the performances on this record where where people were uh, in many ways entering a dream world that connected them with uh, their, their loss. Homeland, uh, because they were now in in America, working in 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 factories, uh, whether they were cheese factories or silk dyeing factories. It was it was a different environment altogether.
4: Ich habe mir einen
0: I love a good Yodel song. Ironically, though, seems a bit sadly like a slap in the face, right? That they're entering this, this dream world, but the dream world is probably not what they first envisioned it to be, right? Like they're coming with the promise of, you know, health and safety and security and green pastures kind of, kind of sense of this like idyllic, right? scenario and then end up in
1: factories yeah uh, the the late historian of, of american uh ethnicity victor green wrote a great book called uh, a singing ambiguity and uh, he, in it he looked at the the songs of uh, immigrants from from many different parts of the world to to america uh, chinese immigrants immigrants from various parts of of europe in pretty much every case People had these uh, ideas of well, the the Chinese metaphor was gold mountain. <laughs> you know, America was where you would get gold, uh, the streets are paved with gold. Uh, you know, that's a common European idea, and and some of this uh, ties into old notions of. Uh, there being somewhere a land of milk, milk and honey, you know, a, a paradise that you can find. And many of the people leaving uh, fraught conditions uh, in different parts of the world, imagine that in America they would find this this special place. And to some extent, their, um, their ethnic compatriots, uh, fostered this illusion sometimes by writing um, letters, uh, encouraging people to, um, to come and, and immigrate, but oftentimes the, the reality was, was rather harsh. And uh, even if you could succeed, and of course many people did, you had to uh, put tremendous amount of, of effort and uh, undergo hardship to, to, to get there.
0: Hopefully that brings us to our next piece here, which is In the Steel Mill.
1: Yeah, th- this, is a, this is a traditional song that uh, has circulated in, in many versions among Polish Americans. And a lot of Poles were late 19th, early 20th century immigrants uh, found work in, uh, in, in mines, uh, in, in steel mills for example in in the um, Gary Indiana East Chicago area or in Pitt, Pittsburgh uh, and this uh, this particular song actually was recorded in, in in Posen Michigan on the shores of Lake Huron where Polish people had been able to find a uh, a rural place but some of them had connections with uh, this industrial work and uh, the original version of this song was was recorded uh, by alan lomax doing fieldwork um, in 1938 in posen michigan and in 1989 i went back to that community i was interested to see if there were any uh, folks who were young at the time that Lomax made the recordings in 1938 and uh, I wanted to learn more about them and I was lucky to find not only uh, the children of some of the the people who were recorded but one person who was recorded a, a guy named Sylvester Rommel who was the last of several surviving singing brothers uh, who'd also learn songs from their mother and he had never heard he he remembered being recorded but he had never heard the recordings and i came back 51 years later and played him uh, a recording of himself and his brother and uh, at a certain point he began singing <laughs> along with his deceased brother and his past self uh, it's it's a powerful uh, song it, it it has to do with uh, an immigrant who's working in a factory he's a sojourner he's he's left his wife and and uh, child back in in poland hoping to earn money uh but he's um, he's in a place where he's not making much money and the uh the foreman in the mill is cursing, cursing at him. Uh, he's, he's an American, uh, English-speaking, an Anglo-American, and so the uh, the Polish guy says, uh, "I'm going to stick it out, but uh, if if my health lasts, I'll return to my country because in America they take youth from boys, they take wreaths, which is a metaphor for." Virginity um, from young girls uh, because in America they're only unbelievers or you know, people who are un, um, untrustworthy so it's it's a it's definitely one of these songs of uh, of of disappointment and it it does speak to uh, uh, really a, a pattern of of immigration and return to the home country that uh, is often. Ignored in Americans' general conception of 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 immigrants, uh, especially from Europe, it's thought that they they came over here and they made their way. But many, uh, you know, many went back because they found things just dreadful here for them.
0: Let's listen to a clip of that now. <laughs>
4: Naživem robote, znáživem robote
3: Jak
4: roboti Jak denna man gliknar nam människa demuviel
5: jag
4: hon går där modig
0: There is something heartwarming and yet heartbreaking at the same time listening to that. Thank you, Jim. That was really interesting. Well, moving on from, you know, immigrants coming in and then returning. A lot of times that's not the case. And I believe this next song remember parents uh, speaks to that
1: yes in in the uh, in the late 1980s I was fortunate to uh, along with my wife Janet Gilmore we, we did a lot of field work for the Chippewa Valley Museum in in Eau Claire Wisconsin and there uh, is a significant settlement of, of Hmong people in that community and we were able to work with them and I in particular work with with musicians and and singers and of course the the Hmong people were uh, people fr- uh, who were some of whom are in in southern China others uh, were in in northern Laos and um, they were enlisted by uh, by, the, by the CIA and the American military to um, assist with uh, downed fighters and and also uh, with uh Combating the uh, uh, Viet Cong or the North Vietnamese across the Laotian-Vietnamese border during the Vietnam War, and after the Vietnam War, when the uh, the Pathet Lao uh, emerged in in Laos, uh, Hmong were were hunted down, their villages were wiped out, uh, in many were killed others uh, had to cross the, the mekong river into refugee camps in thailand and they were uh, often spent long longish periods there and little by little uh, different american uh, especially catholic and, catholic and lutheran um, church groups brought them to to the united states uh, they were very much uh rural and kind of peasant and mountain people with um a polytheistic or animistic sacred system uh, and people who are rooted in, in in a place over long periods of of time and followed traditional practices and in the new world they they began to adapt some of their uh tr- traditional songs to to um deal with their their new world uh experiences and the fact that they were cut off from their homeland they didn't know the language uh the kind of work was was strange and sometimes those who they loved were either left behind or they were they were dead Uh, they didn't have necessarily someone to uh, to, to guide them and help them along as would have been the case for millennia um, and so these were in many ways kind of blue blues songs uh, you know songs of lamentation and um, one of the people I work with a lot was Jobi jo Zhang who was a great leader and elder of the Hmong people who who died much too young of a, of a heart attack from just the tremendous stress that he'd been through in his life but through him i met his his nephew kong Zhong, who at the time was uh, working the night shift uh, in a plant that that uh, ma- manufactured uh parts of washing machines and his wife was on, on, a, on a day shift doing uh work as as a hospital cleanup person and he, he seldom <laughs> they seldom saw, saw each other <laughs> but but they were they were making a living through these hard times. And he composed a number of songs and one had to do with um, this theme of sort of missing your parents, missing your homeland. And it was very interesting. He laid down the guitar track in, in Eau Claire, but and, and then a, a photo was made of him, but then he sent that photo and the basic guitar track to Laos. They put a uh, beautiful northern laotian backdrop <laughs> behind him and then they added additional instruments and there was a produced cd and so it was in, in many ways a uh, mong dreaming kind of like the alpine dreaming that, that i talked about before here the guy is working the night shift in in, in, in a factory uh, doing this kind of industrial work and yet um we find this recording uh, with, with an image on it of him standing in this beautiful uh, northern Laotian landscape. Uh, but, but the song kind of navigates the territory in, in between because it, it deals actually with his, his exiled situation. So it's, it's, it's a powerful piece.
0: Well, let's listen now. Here's a clip of Remember Parents.
5: Bow shore poke me
4: a good tea. La poangao kudonga lison dia. Gashang hai pianga
0: If you feel that these songs are a liminal space in a sense of you know this kind of in-betweenness right from their homeland to you know their experience here and this lament, this desire, right, to have that deep environmental connection again.
1: I think that's well well put. It you know, they're are places of solace and imagination and transcendence <laughs> I think when when people find themselves in uh, in in difficult situations separation and loss and destruction one thing then that, that can keep them uh, from from despair is holding in their their minds and their hearts you know these these memories and these ideas and and if they're put into a uh, Traditional form that can be shared by other people or performed for other people or performed with other people. You know, there's an added power that comes out of that. And, you know, sometimes those songs and tunes can be harnessed for revitalization movements and for, you know, taking back control of, of these endangered um, environments and places.
0: What lessons do you think we can learn from listening to these pieces that you've picked out?
1: My hope is that, that at, at, at some point, um, people who feel themselves as um, established Americans will recognize where they came from in the first place and what their ancestors had to deal with and how uh, those challenges that their ancestors experienced are very much the challenges of contemporary immigrants. If if one looks at the the songs and the tunes that that we briefly uh, considered today involving indigenous people and Southeast Asian immigrants and European immigrants uh, of, of various uh, backgrounds from various parts of, of the world, the same kinds of fundamental themes uh, are found, the same human issues are are present. And, and my, my hope is, you know, we'll be able to, uh, as a nation, <laughs> achieve some kind of recognition of the fact that we're all in this together as human beings and 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 that that in turn uh means that we need to recognize our responsibilities to to the environment around us uh <laughs> cool. it's kind of a naive hope thank you jim for your oh hat. you're welcome yeah
0: my thanks to jim for meeting with me today if you wish to learn more about his work or to get in contact with him, you can find his information in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in everyone and see you next time.